I like to lead by example, meaning I want to be there. I want to see people people to see me work, and I want people to see that I care. Um, and hopefully that instills into them that that they should care as well. And I've said that word ten times already. Is you make mistakes, I really don't care. As long as you care, it's it, people that don't care bother me. And so that's the number one thing I want from my people. So I better care as well if if if, if that's what I'm expecting of them. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Wella, and today I have Trent Ratliff in the house. Trent, my man, thanks for coming on. No problem, man. Thanks stoked, for inviting me. Stoked to be chatting with you. For those that don't know anything about your background, this is the very first time they're hearing about you, brother. Give us a little bit about of your story and how you got into property management. Well, I was uh, graduated UGA, was real estate finance degree, got into mortgages a little bit, didn't realize what I was doing at the time was causing the problems that were about to happen with the uh, foreclosure crash. But I, before that, I got out, I got out of mortgages because didn't really like it and went into development. I thought that was going to be my passion. Ended up being that it was really too political. I'm not a very political guy, so I don't really like to get into town halls and have to grease people's hands and like just play... I don't want to be fake. So I don't, I, I, lucky for me, it crashed in 08. So I had to find something else to do. And like, I was overly qualified and I got, and I said, okay, I'm just going to take a job, property management. Uh, what, there was an opening in nearby town, took it over within a year and a half, two years. I was running the company for Solutions Realty with um, Donna and Chris Littleton. And uh, then they, uh, moved to uh, PMI about nine years in, and I was already kind of looking for an, a way out, and I joined up with Pam Coley. She uh, had a connection through Australians, which we'll probably have to get into later, um, and they like to invest in the U.S. market. And we have about 600 homes in Georgia and about 300 in Alabama, so I'm in d- dual markets. And uh, when we took off, uh, partnered with her uh, back in – about five years ago and haven't looked back. It's been great. You're a talented and capable guy. There's a lot of in- industries that you could work in and be successful. What do you love about property management? Well, I kind of like, I can control my own uh, time. So like I do not do well with having to be, like my wife's a teacher. So she has to be at the, uh, the, the school from eight to four or whatever. I really like the fact that I get to deal with people. I'm really good at for the most part, reading people. I'm really good with relationships with people. So I get to use my strengths. I get the, to use time to my advantage. I can work for three hours now, do something for a couple hours, then work again for another four or five hours and not have to be in a certain spot. It's um, because I've got a team that works well with me. So that's really, it's it's time management and I get to work with people um, is really why I like it. Trent, what's your superpower? That I'm, I'm a pretty positive dude that I don't really like the drama. And I, I things tend to work out for me because of that. 
And so I will uh, find something that kind of scares me and I'll just start working towards it. And then I just get better and better and better at it because I have a positive outlook on it. And people like being around me because I'm usually pretty positive. I try to be funny because I, I like to be lighthearted. Um, I don't want to call this a superpower, but I mean, it's just really hard to get me down. I don't get depressed. I don't get, I, I don't get mad very often. If it's mad, it's really, it's over pretty so soon. I don't, I don't know. I, I see other people that struggle with that kind of stuff and I just, I feel blessed that I can let things roll off my shoulders and just live life to its fullest. Mm. Trent, what's your kryptonite? Thinking I'm wasting my time. I like thinking I have to be doing something all the time. Mm. So like, um, I, I can't sit and relax and watch a TV show. Like a lot of people, like if I'm watching a TV show, I'm going to be on my bike watching a TV show. Um, I, I just can't sit down. Like I'm always moving and I, but the good news is I, I have a weird amount of energy. Like I never run out of energy. And if I do run out of energy, it's because I'm sick. Like, so, and I know that immediately. So like, um, I never run out of energy. So, but it's a flaw because I'm always moving and I should relax more. And I'm, I'm not like I'm pumped up all the time, but I mean, you just made me think about that. I, but had no planned answer, but that's probably it is that I can't sit still. I'm, I feel like I plan out every single, I don't let other people plan my day. I plan my own, but like I have control of my time, but I feel like if I'm, if I'm wasting my time, something, I'm not getting better at something and I like getting better at whatever I'm doing. Where do you focus in the business? You mentioned you have a partner. I'm sure there's a division of labor and focus. What's your primary focus where you really feel like you can just crush it? So this is another kryptonite um, with me is that I care a little too much because I want the product that we put out to be a very good product. So I am, I follow up too much and I am in the business. She is uh, my partner, Pam. She is the one that develops, gets, gets the business. She's got the relationships with the Australians and the, um, the wholesalers and, you know, obtaining the business. What we do is we acquire the business, we rehab it, and then we manage it and they're all long-term rent. I mean, uh, long-term strategies, holding plans. Uh, no one, no, gets out. One of the good news is, is they're Australians are probably about 80% of our um, client base and they're asleep when I'm awake and I'm awake when they're asleep. So like, it's a great deal because it's all over email for the most part. Um, they're quite frankly, they're, they're very reasonable um, group of owners. And it's, uh, it's not just, uh, we don't have like one big owner. We have, I don't know. We have 900 homes. We have 600 in Georgia and 300 in Alabama. And we probably have, I don't know, five or 600 different owners. But I am in the business way too much. So, like, I follow up. I uh, I dabble in every single bit of it because I want it to. I want things to be done to a certain quality, and I have a hard time trusting others to do it without me verifying that it's done. And because of that, I work a little too much. So um, I need to back off of, of that. Uh, but I am in the business. That's my my role is to make sure it runs like a, a, a well-oiled machine. And that that's my day-to-day -day is, and I dabble in almost everything. The only things I really don't get into is the leasing part, and that's Kayla's side and the agent side. And I let them, Kayla's my partner's um, daughter, and she's my right-hand man. 
um, in, on the management side of it. So she she handles that, but like rehabs and everything else. I'm I'm I, I know too much. I probably shouldn't know as much as I do, but I like to know things. I don't know because I. How did those investor relationships come to be? Who wouldn't love to have a contingent of Australians buying properties and having them manage them? So that was with Pam. Uh, Pam built a relationship uh, with, a, uh, with a specific person from a Georgia RIA meeting, like a real estate um, investment meeting. And this was, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago now. And she's basically, I call her a facilitator. And she has her own properties as well, but she's a facilitator. And she and Pam work together to find deals. And they, when they find the deals, she will actually purchase them. But she has buyers that will then buy like buy them for me. She's, she's like the transaction broker, I guess you want to call it. And we then take on that property for the new owner, tell them the, whatever the turnkey cost of it is. And uh, they deed it over to the new owner. And then we sign a management agreement with them. And we manage it for them. But like... To be frank, I let that be Pam's thing. So, like, I don't get too heavily into uh, the, the acquisition part. And that's one of the reasons we're in Montgomery, because they're looking for a specific product. And so, the product was in Georgia for years, but then Georgia's market inflated too much. So, we went to Montgomery. And at first, when we got in Montgomery, I'm like, oh, my gosh, a whole different world. Like, it was the just the feel and like the the prices of properties and how old properties were and how people wanted to use paper instead of like you know wanted to pay you with cash and all this kind of stuff and it's just a reality that we initially had to deal with but now Alabama runs just about the same as Georgia at this point but it took a good year of figuring that out she actually moved there um and we have a staff there, but we we only have a few people. We only have like two or three that work in Alabama. Everybody else is on the, the Georgia side, and they just support Georgia. We have one. We have a maintenance coordinator in Alabama. We have an agent in Alabama, and we have Pam that's there. You mentioned product. That's an interesting term. I can understand where you're coming from there. Can you describe to me what the parameters are? What are the buying criteria of what these investors are looking to purchase? So they're looking. So my investors are typically looking for a. a something they can buy with cash. They're almost, it's almost all cash deals that, and I, some of them go back out and pull money out later, but it, initially it's a cash deal. And that helps us get a lot of deals from wholesalers and all this kind of stuff because we're dealing in cash deals. And these cash deals used to be in Alabama. Um, when I say used to be just two years ago, you could buy a house for 65 to $90,000. And depending on how close you got to $90,000 is how much you're probably going to, have to put into it. So if you bought something for 65, you're going to have to put 25, 30 grand into it. If you bought something for 90, you might only have to put like five or 10, you know? Um, and they want that. And then they rent it for roughly the 1% rule, you know, trying to get a thousand dollars for a hundred thousand dollars. Or if they bought it for, uh, nine, um, 90, then getting like close to nine, uh, $900 a month. But now the market's changed so much. Like, in Georgia, that doesn't even exist. Like you can't those uh, hundred thousand dollar properties. They did exist for a while. Um, they even got down to like fifties for a while. But now uh, Georgia's just way too expensive. Georgia's like two hundred thousand minimum to start. Like for the most part, maybe in the high one sixties. But you couldn't for until now. Recently, you can get uh, fifteen, sixteen hundred for those. But for the longest time, those sixteen um, hundred sixty thousand dollar houses in Georgia would only yield like. Eleven, twelve hundred dollars, and it wasn't worth them. They weren't getting the um, the spreads that they were looking for. So they went to Alabama. 
Alabama now, I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. They're they're going more for like a hundred thousand to one forty plus another fifteen or twenty, you know. And that's only happened in the, like the last eighteen months. Like it's really boomed up thirty percent. Now, it's, it's what'll be interesting is is you know we're about to see a turn with those interest rates going up. We're about mm-hmm. to see a turn. So uh, I don't know what that's going to look like. Nobody knows what that's going to look like. But I project that there's going to be some deals coming down the or people aren't going to be able to move. So if people aren't going to be able to move, they've got to do one or two things because they're either going to maybe we should invest into Home Depot because they're going to have to put money into their house instead of moving. You know, because uh, used to be just move you can three percent interest rate. Now it's six or seven. You know. You're not going to move. So what are you going to do? You're going to fix up your house. So maybe we get these reluctant landlords start coming back into the market, and we'll see what happens with that. How much has the market shifted overall thus far? Well, I can tell you that some of our – we lost about 5% of our doors last year. People were – most property managers were losing like 10 15 20%, I even heard, of their doors. We lost about 5% to sales. Looking back on it, I probably should have advised a lot more owners to sell last year if they were if they were interested because now they're just kind of like panicking. They're like, oh, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. Let's list our house. Well, what we're finding is is if you did that before like June of this year, you were fine. And we were able to sell your house and get the, re- the return you were looking for. But since June or July, I mean, it's really – it's not that we aren't, we aren't selling – still selling them. We are. But they're not flying off the shelf. And – People are taking them back and saying, nope, take it off the market, put it back up for rent. They're, they're Because they're not getting as many offers, not as many people out there uh, buying. I mean, it's, it's quite obvious, especially these last couple months, uh, that the buyers are just not there as much. I mean, there are buyers, but just not as many. I mean, it's, it, that's what we're seeing, at least. So the opportunity for residential property management here over the next couple of years, I see, I've talked to numerous folks that really feel like they're they're gearing up to exploit some significant opportunity. What do you see there and how do you anticipate kind of preparing to take advantage of that? Well, we're already a well-oiled machine in terms of taking on properties is not going to be a big, uh, big problem for us. Uh, we may have to get more, we're a family-owned business for the most part. It's me and Pam, but Pam's daughter works for her. Her, her son works for us. We may have to get into more VAs and stuff, and I haven't had to do that yet. Um, and I, I kind of want to because it's it's cheaper labor if you want to if you want to say uh, say it that way. But right now, I don't mind paying or we pay our employees pretty well because they're kind of family. And, and my way of looking at it is, I'm not losing the money to somewhere else. It's keeping it like in our family. So, but we're probably going to have to go to some VAs type stuff if we start having to grow too much because we're we're kind of maxed out on our maintenance coordination right now uh, with the two doing the 900 doors, two people doing 900 doors. Uh, so if we start growing too much, we're going to have to get some more coordination there. In terms of like ramping up money-wise, um, we have seen a slight hold from our investors um, buying. We had a big influx early this year, but it's slowed down. Our acquisitions have slowed down because I think they're trying to wait it out to say, hey, I'm get better deals. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? So where I'm used to doing five to eight deals a month, sometimes a good month, 12, you know, we're doing like three and four, two and three, three and four. 
I mean, we're still growing and it's, it doesn't bother us. I'm at, I'm at the point now where, you know, I don't stress about our growth rate or anything like that. We're at 900 doors and we're a stable company. I just don't think about that stuff. I'm not like, oh, I'm at 200 doors. I got to get to 225. You know, it, that I don't have to be like the guy who has 1500 doors and is bragging about it. I don't, I don't, I don't really care. I just want to make sure my family's fed and that everybody that works with us is taken care of. Let's talk about what else you have going on outside of work. You're an athlete. You're referred to by well, some as the big, athlete, big okay. green machine. Bro, you're an athlete. Let me tell you that you're an athlete. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't require you to be on a... Coming from Watts over here. I, I, by the <laughs> way, I like to call I call Jordan Watts because we get on Peloton rides. And he's over here calling me an athlete, but he outproduces my uh, Watts, the power, by like 50 every single time. So no, I like to call him Watts. It's like a... Thing I do. I'm still chasing. I'm still chasing some of your records. To be clear, you've set some really high benchmarks. You're actually motivating because you're you, you're like people tell me that, but I, all right, but I, I'm not trying to be motivated. I'm just doing what I feel like is fun for me. But right on. Well, tell me about that. Were you an athlete earlier in your career? So, I'm when growing up, I played baseball and football. That's when my dad played, and I was re. What I would say is I was really good at both of them. Really good, like. College level good. I was not pro good, but I was college level good. I got scholarship offers. One of the things I didn't do, I went to UGA, but I had a scholarship to Columbia College. Columbia is an Ivy League school. I decided to not play football for Columbia and just go to school at UGA and because that's where I wanted to go to school. And I could have played football at UGA. I uh, As a walk-on, I actually went to their combines and they, they offered me to come out there. Now, I wouldn't have got a scholarship, but I would have if I was probably put in the time. Um but I decided not to do that because in my head, I knew I wasn't going to be a pro. Okay. In my head, I also know, as I told you before, I get pretty competitive and like, I'm going to go at it all hard. And if I go at it really hard with, at the time, people like Ben Watson, who were the biggest guy, he played football in the NFL for 12 years, he's Georgia. Uh, I'm going to get hurt. I knew I was going to get hurt. And was I willing to do that? And I just decided I wasn't. So I just decided, hey, I'm going to go enjoy college. You know, play intramurals, win intramural stuff. Uh, baseball, I was really good in the field. I could have played in the next level in the field. My hitting wasn't as great. But I was an athletic guy. But I wouldn't consider myself like next level athletic. But I was, I was pretty athletic. So then I don't do anything from like in my 20s and 30s. Like I really don't do anything. And I joined Pam in my late 30s. And she and her husband are triathletes. Mm. And three years ago, actually, this week, um, I ran a marathon. And the reason I ran a marathon is that we had an office meeting. And our goal was we actually paid everybody um, like uh, bonuses if they would do uh, a 5K, the, a half marathon or full marathon. We took everybody to Chattanooga and we, uh, we, had a, we rented out a big house. And I was the only one that signed up for the marathon. I was like, I'm going to be the, I'm the leader. I'm going to sign up for a marathon. Never before that had I even run over six miles in my entire life. This was uh, three years ago. And so nine weeks before I start training for a marathon, never ran six miles before in my life. It tore my body up. I did not have a base, all this kind of stuff. It was ill-advised. Um, if you watch Tony Klein, you know, his thing when he was doing the ultras and everything, the first time he does stuff, it's probably ill-advised. It was ill-advised that I did a marathon on nine weeks training, not having a base of fitness. But I finished it, and 
I came to uh, as soon as I finished that, I came to uh, the the convention in San Diego with uh, Brian. No, it was not San Diego. It was uh, uh, I'm sorry. It was Phoenix with Brian Birdie. And I was telling Brian Birdie about it, and Brian Birdie goes, "We need to do a half Ironman." And I'm like, "Yeah, let's do a half Ironman. That scares me. That scares me. That's good. That means I will put in the time to make it right because it." it Swimming. I'd never swam before in my entire life. So that January 1st, I had a goal to be in, um, this is 2020, to do a, a half Ironman, 70.3, which is a 1.2 mile swim. Well, I get in the water for the first time um, ever to swim like distance. I mean, I could swim, but I've never swam distance. And I realized, man, I really like to breathe. I didn't realize how much I like to breathe. Like, it's hard. And I was just doing 50 yards and I'm like, I'm supposed to go 1.2 miles. Are you crazy? And so like, I just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. Um, got on the bike. Uh, you know, here I am in aero positions. That's when your arms are in the middle and you're like balanced on the middle of your bike and you're shifting. You have no brakes and you're shifting with your thumbs. I've never done that. I've never been clipped into a bike, you know, put my foot into a, a clip. I mean, you literally have to pull your foot out of that. If you've never been clipped in a bike, you're stuck there. So I never, and here I am about to have to start running. I mean, I, do, I have a little of experience running now, but nothing crazy. Well, it turns out I start, it starts becoming my identity. Meaning like, I don't have to think about working out. I don't have to like wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I got to do three miles today or whatever. No, I'm like, man, I get to do three miles today. Like I, like I want to do three miles. If I don't do that, or if I don't do my hour long workout, it actually affects my, my mood. Um, so it just transitioned into my identity, and then I started to just get better at it. And then I got a little better and a little better, and people started noticing, like, wow, Trent, you're doing this. And I'm just getting a little better and getting a little better. And now I'm to the point with swimming, like, it's by far, not even close, by far my strongest uh, uh, of the disciplines, of the three disciplines. And I swim with an Olympian every Tuesday, Thursday, she was she's a Macedonian Olympian swimmer, and she won uh, just a few months ago the butterf- the national butterfly. She's still the fastest woman in uh, that's not an Olympian. She's the fastest woman between the age of thirty five and forty in the whole nation in the butterfly. And here I am, and she she also won the uh, the mile swim. But I swim with her every Tuesday and Thursday. I swim with an Olympian swimmer, and so she, so I am now keeping up with this Olympian swimmer, and like. She has taught me like uh, so much, and like what I'm realizing is, is man, I kind of wish my parents would have put me in swimming when I was younger because I, I'm not saying I would have been like an Olympian, but like I would, I'd probably been in college. I would have been highly competitive at it because I've only been swimming for now for a little over two years, and I just came in sixth place out of out of uh, 180 people at the last uh, uh, Ironman event. And I'm constantly um, in the top 5% of the whole field, um, even the pros. Like, I've, I swim faster than a lot of the pros do. Um, now, they're, they get on the bike and do, you know, six mile an hour faster than me. But, like, and the water. And it's just, I realized, man, I have a passion for swimming. And I didn't even realize it. It just came out of nowhere. And, uh, I mean, I love being on the bike. But the bike just takes so long. And when you have a family, um, you have to be on the bike for three, four, five hours if you're really going to be good at it. And not that's really hard to fit that in. And the only way I can fit that kind of ride in is my work has to uh, 
come second, and usually on a Friday afternoon, I'll have to um, take off a little early to put in a bike ride like that because I do not let any of my training affect my my family life or anything. Like it, you can unless I'm doing like a full Ironman, there might be like a month where it might affect the the family a little bit, but my normal training like, zero. So it might affect work a little bit because. Uh, I might take a little bit longer of a lunch break uh, than I probably should, and you know, go on a go on a six mile run or something. But uh, but quite frankly, I come back more rejuvenated when I do it. So um, it makes me feel better. I feel I look better. I feel better. Um, have more energy because I do all this stuff, and uh, it's just amazing to me. I mean, I've had a breakthrough just in running, and just the I've been running for two and a half years. I had a breakthrough three weeks ago because my body was just not handling running very well. And I just, all I did was change my cadence and not go too far out with my steps. It took like a whole minute off of my time. And not only that, I wasn't even getting tired and I'm not having, I ran 20 miles on Friday on Sunday and I wasn't even sore on Monday. That is unheard of for me my entire life. And all I had to do was a simple adjustment on where my foot strike was and increasing my foot speed meaning I'm carrying less weight and I'm explaining this to property managers. Who cares? I get it. I'm like, I'm like, wow, I'm getting too deep in this. And the property managers are like, well, we're supposed to be hearing about like the market and he's over here talking about foot strides, but like I'm learning. And the same thing with property management It's like, I need to get, even on the flight here, I, I, I started listening to a book and I'm like, man, I've been out of listening to books for, um, you know, I was listening to atomic habits and, um, because I knew, I knew I needed to change some of my habits. So I I realized like I need to put some more focus in on my uh, work because anything I start putting my focus into, it automatically gets better because I care so much. And um, caring is the biggest deal. Like if if you care, it's going to get better. So well said. Leadership is attention. That's what my mentor has told me. Leadership is attention. It's just where you choose to focus, and things will change under the gaze of a focused entrepreneur. One hundred percent of the time. Correct. And, and for the last, I mean, I'm in C- tri season. Tri season just ended, and because of that, I was like a couple months of I'm in tri season, so I didn't focus as much on my on my attention was on my fitness and my family, and not so much my office. Now everything still works fine; everything's working beautifully. We're we're machine, but I like to make things better, and I haven't been doing that as much as I should be. And I realized that on the flight here, and I'm already taking strides and putting habits out that that are going to make me think about it more often and do and be more intentional and in improving my business because I need to get some more of my time back. I probably need to get an assistant and all this kind of stuff. I probably need, I need to get out of the business more than I am so that I can focus on making our, our company better instead of just working in it. And I realized that on the flight here, believe it or not. Talk to me about your growth as a leader. What's shifted for you and your perspective and your approach to leadership? I've always been pretty consistent. Um, being around me, I'm I'm not too high, not too low. So like, in I tend to f- lead by example. So like, me even being here w- is a big deal uh, because I'm out of the office and I don't like being out of the office and acting like I'm not on my or or not on my emails. And I actually had what I considered to be a uh, travesty. On the way in, I almost missed my flight. I literally walked on the board, final boarding call. Nobody's in line. I've walked on the on the plane because I left my uh, 
You can ask me how many times I left my computer at my office in five years. Zero. I've got mechanisms to make sure I never do that because I, I, we bring my computer. We we use Surfaces, uh, Microsoft Surface, and everybody has their own docking station. Everybody's required to have two screens, and we have docking stations throughout our office. Everybody, if you work for us, you have a, also a docking station with the two screens for your house, so you can move your computer. You basically just plug in wherever you want. So you come to the office or at the house. Um, it's the exact same. So I'm bringing my computer back and forth from home. Zero times I've left it in five years. On the way here, I left it. Found out about a mile mile or so out from the airport, and I tried to back turn and go get it. Turns out, Kayla was like, "This is not going to happen, Trent. You've got to turn back around and go." And I'm like, no, I can't. I got to have my computer because I feel like even an hour a day, I need to get through my computer to make sure I am leading. I'm I am not like away. Mm-hmm. Um, and turns out I, I was like, you're right. And I turned around, got in the car. So I'm without my computer for four days here. And that is really weird trying to work from my phone because I don't, I'm a creature of habit. And I'm really good at like uh, Google Sheets and Microsoft Office and uh, with the, my inbox and like how I'm structured. And I'm super efficient. But if you take me away from my efficiencies, I'm like, I don't even want to do it. I'm like, uh, I'm not going to work for my phone because it's just highly inefficient. Me trying to answer uh, long emails on my phone and structuring and pulling things off. I don't know. So bottom line is, is I'm going way off the uh, mark here, but I like to lead by example, meaning I want to be there. I want to see people, people to see me work and I want people to see that I care. Um, and hopefully that instills into them that, that they should care as well. And I've said that word. 10 times already is you make mistakes. I really don't care as long as you care. It's it, people that don't care bother me. And so that's the number one thing I want from my people. So I better care as well if, 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 if that's what I'm expecting of them. So tell me what the NARPM community has meant for you and done for your business. Oh my gosh. You have two hours here. Take a swig. I know. They they've changed my life. Like it's immeasure. It's an immeasurable thing, and I didn't realize it in the time. But it's just little baby steps on how much they did Pe- meeting people. Like um, I mean, Brian Birdie is like one of my best friends, and where and it all spurred from one thing, and it's it's a weird thing, and. I wasn't even really that active in my uh, Atlanta chapter. And all of a sudden, I get an email from Gail back, I don't know, eight, ten years, eight, nine years ago. And it says, hey, do you want to be on, stri- you want to come to the strategic planning committee um, as like a young property manager? Because I was like 30 at the time. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So I get there and I'm like, I don't, I've never been on the board at my local chapter. I've never done that. They just wanted to have somebody there to um, perspective of a young property manager. That me being invited to that strategic painting changed my whole life. I met Brian Birdie there. Um, I met, uh, and he took me in, took me in. I met uh, Kelly. Um, I met so many past presidents. Scott Abernathy became one of my best friends. And like for about five years, I was thick as, th- thick as thieves with these people. And they made me better. I wasn't even a broker at the time. And Brian's like, Trent, you can't do anything unless you're a broker. Why are you not a broker? 
Just say it out loud. You, you get go go do it. So I became a broker. Well, sure enough, a year or two later, then I'm moving on and I need to be a broker. I'm moving on with Pam and I need to be a broker because Pam's moving to Alabama and because Pam was the broker of the company, uh, we I had to become the broker of George because when you moved to Alabama, you had to make a branch and she had to be a branch, the branch manager, but I had to be the overall qualified broker. So like that that's just a small thing, but I might not have ever done it mm-hmm. if Brian Birdie didn't push me to it. And But just coming to all the conferences, I mean, I feel like I'm a conference junkie and I'm getting to the point where I feel like I know I've seen everything, been there, done it. But quite frankly, I learn something every single time I come. And yes, I've seen second nature 50,000 times. And of course, I know what they are. You know, I've seen lead simple 80,000 times. I know everything they've done. I've probably even used half of the stuff and got off it and used it again. And then so, but it's just these little bitty steps to make me uh, better. And what I realize is I don't, I take for granted all of the information that I just know that I think simple. Like, well, how does not somebody not know this? And it's all because of NARPM. NARPM has uh, given me the friend base. I have, if I ever have a con, uh, any kind of conflict at all, I, con- I got 10 people. And one of the things is, is I got involved nationally, and now if I want to go to any city in the U.S., I could. I, I know somebody, and I'm like, "Hey, Brian, I'm going to San Antonio. Either I'm staying with him, or I'm going somewhere, uh, or I'm going to one of his vacations rental. I've st- uh, I've stayed with uh, Scott Abernathy. I've gone out west to. Uh, it, it's just, it's amazing, like the the network of people I've gotten, and the confidence you get when you do that as well, because. Like I said, I was just I was just a nobody, and Brian Brian Birdie pulled me in, and like befriended me for literally no reason. He had it made. Like he he was Birdie Properties at the time. He had fifteen hundred doors. I'm just a property manager for Solutions Realty. Been in the in like what 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 did I have to offer Brian Birdie other than you know friendship? They're like, why do you want to be my friend? You know, why did Scott want to be my friend? You know, uh, Abernathy's because he's the exact same, but. Those relationships turned into mentorships and friendships, and I've got countless others. Brian Jenkins uh, is is my first Narpum friend, and I can't tell you how many long conversations we've had about life and business uh, with 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 that man. And I can't express the value that I got from that. Just those conversations. And if I'd never done a Narpum, I'd never have those relationships. I'd never have those converse, uh, conversations, and I'd never be able to build to where I am today. Uh, w- without these guys and and girls, I mean, there's and these some of my best friends. Like, I almost con- consider some of these people my family. I mean, it's like it's ridiculous. So, what would you say to somebody that's a NARPA member in a market that doesn't have a strong chapter and they haven't gotten engaged, and you know, it just seems kind of so so to them? So that's a tough question because I feel like I'm a little bit of an anomaly. I got lucky. One, I got lucky that I'm in the Atlanta chapter. Okay. Two, um. I got to go to strategic planning and meet the board and like get into a week long intimate relationship with all these people and uh, do that kind of stuff. So if you don't have that, like things just kind of worked out for me in that way and they don't work out for everybody, you know, in that same, same. And if it doesn't, that can be challenging because first of all, you're going to come to these events and you're going to feel like, you know, no one. And I, and that's a lonely feeling, you know, nobody wants that. And, um, 
I got to go to strategic planning, like I said. And because of that, I went to this, and I already knew the board. Now I know the board. Because I know the board, well, that just offshoots to everybody else. Well, tr- who's this guy talking to Kelly? Who's this guy uh, talking to Bart Sersel? Who's this Bart guy talking to Bertie? You know, so now other people are interested in who I am. So these, what I'm saying, the advice that I guess I'm having to give people is go talk to Bart, Bertie. Go talk to the board. And not just once. They, they want to talk to you. People, believe it or not, they want to talk to you. Like I said, Brian Birdie had no reason to, to befriend me. I was, I'm, I was a lowly property manager in Atlanta, Georgia. He lived in San Antonio, had his family business. And no, guess what? I'm his best friend now. One of his best friends. Just because I continued, we, obviously you want to have com, something in common with them. And you'll, you'll, you'll tend to lean towards certain people as well. So if, you're, if, you're, if you go and approach someone and it doesn't work out well, you know if that you're approachable, but keep on trying. Find another person of stature, because I'm telling you, if you start, once you it compounds quickly, the more and more people you meet. But you have to you have to make that effort, and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to make that effort to go up and say, "I'm going to go talk to this uh, person that's apparently made it, that's been there 15 years and has been knows everyone." It's a it's a tough thing, but you you, you really have to step out and do it uh, because it, it'll benefit you in the long run. I love the way that you couch that, that heart for connection, really. I mean, that's what I'm hearing coming through. There's obviously some professional benefits and you're learning best practices, but a lot of it really is just relational connection. I think that's what keeps people coming back. Absolutely. So for about, I don't know, let's say say from like 2016 to about 2020 when COVID happened, like I looked forward to narpum stuff like you would not believe because I, I mean it's fresh and new it's like i was in my honeymoon period you know and like i would get these are my best friends and like i'd hang out now you know it's a little bit different now because uh, but i still i personally do not go to any table that i know someone at and if it is someone it's one person at the table that i know um and if you'll if you go just from this conference right now, somebody from that conference will probably watch this if this gets uh, makes it through the cutting room floor and be like, yeah, he sat with me because I do not sit with people I know at the round tables. And let, you know, you can't avoid it sometimes one or two, but like I want to meet people and I want to bring energy. Like I told you earlier, I have a weird uh, ability to keep up energy and I know that. So I try to keep the energy. And I'm some most of the time entertaining, and and I know what the person's wanting to uh, learn, and I like to get give them my two cents because I've been around a long time, and, and I like to hear what they have to say because mm-hmm. even if I feel like I know the answer to something, I love a different perspective because everything has a different perspective, and I like to know all the different ways to think about a subject, and I don't I'm not cocky enough to think that I know everything like that, so. I, even if I, I just hearing it, it helps me solidify wh- who I am. And like I said, I take it for granted what I know because I talk to people. I just talk to people and I realize other people know. And maybe that's why I'm successful at what I do is because I'm, I'm willing to do that. Trent, what makes a great property manager? And I'm not talking about the, the owner, the founder, somebody on the front lines day to day, somebody that's wondering if this is a job or a career what opens up possibility? What makes a great property manager? First of all, you got to know 
that you're dealing with people. I don't want to say you're playing a game, but you're playing a game. Like you're, don't make things harder than you have to. Spend money. Todd would probably kill me for saying this, or Shad, but spend money when you need to spend money. Like, 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 if $25 fixes a problem and this problem is going to go on for forever, make cost the concession. Get it done. Cost of doing business. 150. One on, some owner has been with us for 15 years. We do a maybe we do a maintenance call that uh, we didn't get approval on for some reason or another, and it rarely happens, and it costs like $150. Just give them the $150 and be like not nice to them. And I'm I'm going down a just be be know you're dealing with a human on the other end, and don't because we've got really good. Uh, reviews because what we do, we really, really do care that the perception of the other other side is that we care, and we do care. I'm not saying it's fake when I say it's a game; it's not fake, but we do care. And what makes a good property manager is somebody that doesn't take things personally, is willing. To make concessions, can think fast, and that does not get too high and too low. And and we tend to that's what we tend to hire that. And uh, like I keep I, talk, I I call Kayla my secret weapon a lot of times because we play good cop bad cop. Sometimes I have to play bad cop, but like she is the best good cop you've ever seen. So like I and uh, she puts on that charm and. Um, because she genuinely, like, if we get a bad review, it will mess with her head more than almost anything else. Because uh, that's how important it is uh, that that the person on the other side um, is envisioning that they are being respected and that they they're being heard. And I went really long on what makes a good property manager, but that that's uh, I, I really think that it's just not too high, not too low, and taking in. Know that you're dealing with humans in terms of, like I said earlier, and I'm repeating it, but like if they've been with you for five years and you're making $150 a month off their management fee, and one month you've got to give them 150 bucks for something to make them feel good and you and it's building good rapport, give them the $150 and move on. Don't, I don't know. Trent, if there's one thing you could change about property management, wave a magic wand and make instantly different, what would it be? Well, good question. Well, one thing that it's not property management in general, and I wish people knew what NARPM was. Meaning, like when I say people, like in general, like realtors don't even know what NARPM is. And uh, I had on a uh, name tag earlier, you know, it says I'm an MPMRMP. Well, that means something to me, but like it just doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. It means something to me because I work to get the MPM and RMP. But people don't even know what NARPM is. How is the, my designation through NARPM? So I really wish, like, even the realtor community, because they don't, you go to a real, uh, a NAR convention or something like that, we've got a booth there, and people will walk by that booth and be like, NARPM, what's NARPM? Um, I just wish we were more well known, like NARS well known. You know, we're just that, I think that would go a long way because people would use NARPM members because I, 100% believe NARPA members are the best property managers out there. And 
that advantage of being a NARPA member should be, I wish people just knew that. Um, as for like the industry, I feel like I'm, we're getting kind of uh, controlled by the government too much, but that's, I don't have really any control over that. Um, meaning like I can't get tenants out in a reasonable amount of time. Things don't seem to, uh, the people aren't being seen to help be held accountable for either not paying or doing things incorrectly on their leases and stuff like that. Uh, the accountability bothers me when I can't fulfill for an owner because I'm being held back by a government institution that will not allow me to just have a hearing, much less get them out, just even get a hearing. I had 18 months in, in one of the counties just to get a hearing recently. The tenants owes like 25 grand. I mean, that's an extreme, extreme mm. case, and it's only one out of 900 tenants. But um, taking advantage of like basically the inability to do my job because of a government institution, that that's something that is hard for me to swallow. Um, but I don't really have a lot of control over it. So I don't, I can't get too down over it, but it, it's hard for me to swallow, you know, bankruptcies. And then I have to go get a lift of stay and all that kind of stuff. Like this kind of stuff. It bothers me when I have to do that kind of, uh, get through things I can't control. Trent, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you sharing with no me. And I appreciate the the give back and the heart and spirit that you have for this industry. You're a colorful, colorful character that adds a lot of depth and joy to this community. So thanks for bringing well, thanks your, for your full self, man. Thank you for like just being a you know a mentor to me. Like I follow, I've been following you for years, and you just all the stuff you pursue is so you're so professional. And you're, I, I just enjoy watching your growth and you're, you're pivoting. You pivot a lot. And um, it inspires me to think, like me knowing that I was coming onto this show, flying here, um, I was like, man, what would, literally, what would Jordan be doing on this flight? Jordan wouldn't be watching this movie on this flight. Jordan would be listening to an audiobook, making himself better because he might pivot something in that. And like, literally, like, that's what I did. Like, and that's what I do a lot of times. Whoever I'm going to be, I'm, I went past, I went past my time and here I am going ranting. But uh, what would somebody that I want to be be doing right now? Mm. And, and it happened to be, it literally happened to be you on the flight in because, and, but sometimes it's like, what would somebody that's trying to get better at this particular triathlon that's coming up be doing right at this moment? Would they be doing that this right at this moment? But what I'm getting at is you may have been this week inspired me to start focusing more on my, my business. I've, I've taken tons of notes since I've been here and trying to figure out what's my next pivot moment because that's what Jordan would do and you're a successful dude and I like following you. So you just keep doing you. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure it out yeah, one you, day at a time, but I'm grateful to be here and I'm committed to staying and making the biggest difference that I can. We appreciate you. Let's leave it there. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. 
I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.